Hello and welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cullen, and sitting across from me, the man, the myth, the legend, the big popper himself, Christopher T. Barty. He's back, folks. He's emerged under from a pile of diapers and he's here in the flesh. How are you, big fella? I'm good, mate, Pat. I'm really excited. I can't wait to summarise the Crick Info website with you once again. <laughs> Harsh indictment. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a harsh indictment of our um of our years of hard graft, but <laughs> harsh but probably fair indictment of our years. Of hard graft. Look, it's the staple of any cricket, cricket podcast diet pad. I think you just have to be familiar with ESPNInfo.com. Yep. And if they'd like to sponsor us, we're all for it. Ah, oh, mate. Um, I'm surprised they haven't gone on the horn, Chris. Frankly, I'm surprised mm. that they're mm. not in our lives now. Going. Here you go, boys. Here's 10 million bucks. Make the podcast for the next 80 years. Um, we Crick is ESPN Creo Info are pleased to have you. I can't even say their name, Chris. That's where I'm at. Mm, mm. Well, you're choking on your, your own range, Pat. <laughs> how are you, bud? How are you, how are you, how's dad life treating you? How's, uh, how's the whole thing moving along? Give us a little life update. A will update if you uh, Yeah, yeah. So got a, a baby, Pat, a human being that... Uh, <laughs> I have had a hand in co-creating. I must admit I was the less active of the pair. I was trying to think of a cricket analogy. Essentially, in the uh, birthing of the child, my wife was Mike Hussey and I was Glenn McGrath. <laughs> uh, if we were to think of it as a batting partnership. You held an end up though, Chris. You held an end up. You made a valuable yeah. contribution. You held an end up. Yeah, it's quite, a, quite an event. Uh, watching your wife give birth magnificently well. I think there was a point in time where I was essentially counting to 10 and then getting back to one and then counting to 10 again, and that was the sum of my contribution for that hour or so. Valuable, <laughs> valuable. As I say, valuable runs, Pat. Uh, so, look, it's a great experience, isn't it, being a parent? But, look, I'm really excited, Pat, to conceive another podcast with you, another season. We are back. Some may say ill-advised, but that's okay. <laughs> and they're probably right, Chris. They're probably right, you know. <laughs> they're, they're probably right. It doesn't matter. That's fine. We're excited to talk about um, another potentially Ill- ill-advised event being the 50-over World Cup. Yes. Yes, Chris. Which leads me to my, my key question for you. I told you before we started recording that I had a key question for you, Chris. My key question mm. for you is this. Why are we doing this, Bardo? Like, not us doing two for none. That's a larger question. But why, why, why are we doing 50 over World Cups? Like, what is, what is the point here? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think the 50 over World Cup has more purpose to it than your standard ODI series. But this World Cup, more than any other time in history, is really making me ask the question of why are we playing 50 over cricket? Like, what do we all get out of it? You know? I'm not sure there's an answer to that. Well, it's a great question. Uh, I think probably the first answer is that there's some money to be made. Great point. Great point. Potentially. Yep. Sponsors have got to get paid. Um, Sponsors sponsors are going to get paid. Conversations are going to get made. The, The cricket argument, I suppose, is potentially that there is something unique in the 50 over format versus the, the T20 and versus the test match arena. Now, clearly, there's a, a different set of cricketing skills required to play test match cricket than there is to play T20 cricket, for example, mm. both mental, physical, 
psychological and, and social. <laughs> the social stuff's the big stuff, Chris. You know, can stuff. you deal with fireworks and cheerleaders as well as you can absolutely hammered poms in boater hats yelling abuse at you? Can you can you manage both of those things? That's the big question. That's that's absolutely right. You know, can you handle a, a hot dog condiment that's been sitting uh, in the Bay Marie for six hours only to be consumed at 10 p.m. at night versus day-old lamingtons in the lunchroom? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> the challenge is there. Who's to say? But I, but I think the point, the point I'm trying to make, Pat, <laughs> if I can get back to that, is that, uh, look, is, is there a sufficiently different set of skills that makes the 50-over form of cricket sufficiently compelling? Now, there is enough runs on the board uh, to suggest that 50-over cricket can in and of itself be sufficiently compelling. That's why I think we continue to have this event. Mm. Uh, but... Is it now sufficiently compelling when contrasted against T20 cricket? Do we need two forms of white ball cricket? I think that this World Cup will be a referendum uh, on on that. Mm. Mm, Chris, I think you're right. I think it really will be. Like, if this goes really well, like, man, man, we think back to 2019 and the absolute thrilling conclusion of it, you know, England drawing twice and then somehow winning, like, all of that was pretty captivating stuff. So if it's as captivating again, then probably all of my nonsense is nonsense, you know, predictably. Um, But... I, I just asked the question about the relevance, you know, particularly coming off the back of an Ashes series, which was so captivating and so thrilling and, you know, straight up, you know, 20 days of magic or whatever it was, a month of magic that, that was that series. And, you know, T20s are a lot of fun and they're very exciting. They're great for bringing people into the game. So you kind of find 50 over t- games being this weird middle ground that everyone's sort of looking at and being like, what do you, what do you do here? You know, it's, mm-hmm. I'm feeling like we're in a company, Chris, we're in a cricketing company and we've got this hot new kid who's coming in, who's like, you know, an ace coder or whatever. And the old CEO's still there in the job. And you're looking at middle management and you're asking yourself, what do you actually do middle management? Like, what do you, what do you do here? This is this is a we're looking at KPIs here, Bardo. We're looking at um, we're looking at downsizing. We're looking at um, squishing our profit margins. I've got no more corporate jive in me. Um, you know what I Essentially, mean? Essentially, what you've described there, Pat, is uh, some sort of mismatch between the movie Office Space by Mike Judge Great and the movie Tron. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Chris, that's how I feel about 50 over games at the moment. It's office space meets Tron. Someone's going to cover themselves in post that nights and ride a cool motorbike, and we could hope. Yeah. Look, I think what's really interesting is the pace um, at which the game is being played. I think almost the the fourth wall has been broken. I don't know if that's possible. Mm. But in, in the sense that the, the, there's very few conventions remaining in, in ODI cricket in the same way that we're seeing conventions being broken with test cricket all the time, but the traditional format of, of building an innings in 50 over cricket is, uh, well, since the mid-90s, Jaya Saria and Sri Lanka, is to go out hard in the first uh, 15 overs. Hopefully you've, you've held on some wickets, consolidate in the middle third of the innings and then go um, hell for leather in the last 10 overs and hopefully that'll get you somewhere near um, you know, 280, 290, 300 What's really interesting now is just the rate at which we're seeing scores of 400, but also seeing some compelling uh, games at the lower end of the spectrum, you know, those, those 220s that are, are hard to chase. So 
I think that is one one component that's interesting and intriguing about the tournament upcoming is there's just going to be so much variation in the scorecards. And what T20 cricket has done is we don't know where that variation is going to come from. It's no guarantee that one of the superpowers will score 400 and one of the minnows will score uh, 150. It could very easily be um, the other way around on a on a good day. Mm. Yeah, and, and also that if you score 400, it doesn't necessarily make it a better game, weirdly. That mm. um, you can have the, some of the most compelling games are when the scores come in at 250 and things are tight and weird. And also, Chris, we've got to say it's happening in India. And Bardo, you mm. and I famously, we love cricket in India, baby. We love it. We love seeing it. Who knows what the pitch is going to be? Is it going to be a dust bowl from the surface of Mars? Is it going to be some weird, shiny, white, flat, wild card of a deck designed to get pumped into next week off the, off short pitch bowling. Who's to say, Chris? No one knows, um, least of all us. So that's going to be exciting too. The decks, the crowds, and you've got to say too, but I'm putting it out here right in the dot, right in the first sort of 10 minutes of our first episode on this. You've got to say India have got to be the favourites here, right? Like at home, home support, their decks, you know, one of the best chasing sides in the world. Bloody Rohit Sharma's got a couple of double hundreds in the in the format. Virat's Virat. Um, you'd expect them to go on, and if they can't win it here, you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? Really, that's how I feel. Well, on paper, you'd have to say that they're the favourites, but you know, heavy lies the crown kind of thing. Are they going to be able to handle the expectation? India famously aren't great performers at global tournaments. True. True. True, and Jai Singh said to say that um, he can't couldn't get a tape in today, but he said to say that he was worried about their wobbly tail and the number four position, as per usual. So it's good to see, Chris, that you can step out of the host chair, but things stay the same. Things stay the same. You know, Jai Singh has the same concerns. You and I are still on Crick Info. It, the time just rolls on. <laughs> <laughs> um, my friend, in that effort, uh, let's start with a couple of tapes, shall we? We have tapes today from... Um, Adam Hassan, our Pakistan correspondent, Tom K. Hawkey, our UK correspondent, um, Chris the Goodman Goodrick, and I've got a bit of a story to tell you about Chris Goodrick, uh, South African correspondent, and of course, um, Alexander Spinks, our favourite Australian. Any uh, any of those fellas particularly you want to start with, Bardo? <clears throat> well, you've titillated me, Pat. You've titillated me with uh, Chris Goodrick. I, I think that'd be a great place to start. So here's the story with Chris Goodrick. Chris Goodrick, he might talk to us about this in the, in the pod that he's about to release on us here. But Chris Goodrick, Bardo, went to India to go to the World Cup itself. He was going to be our on-the-ground man. But he forgot a small fact, Chris, which was his visa, in that he didn't Ooh. get one. <laughs> <laughs> so he flew to India and then um, sent me a message being like, Paddy, I wanted to get you a tape from the ground in India, but I'm unable to. I'm having to fly back to New Zealand. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, dear. He did send me a message also saying, I'm a silly bugger sometimes. And, um, I mean, true words never spoken. Good trick. True words never spoken. <laughs> I, lo- I, just, I just love the imagery of that. And I'm not saying Chris would handle it this way, but I love the imagery of sitting in border control, getting all ready to have a go at a public servant after a long-haul flight and, you know, Bloody government stuffed that up again. <laughs> I then to find out, no, no, they follow the correct procedure. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, there's, there's one person who's the problem here. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one. <laughs> I am the one who is the issue. 
Uh, let's fire him up, folks. This is Chris Goodrick, our um, South African correspondent with a bulletin for us. Good day, Australia. Good day, team. Good to be back, guys. So I've just uh, landed in New Zealand. I've just been through an absolute immigration slash travel nightmare. Um, <laughs> as I'm sure some of you know, I was supposed to fly to India and watch two Cricket World Cup games. And um, yeah, it, uh, it just didn't happen. I was a very silly sausage. I didn't uh, didn't get my visa in time. And uh, yeah, first time that they told me, first time I've been in the, the situation where I been denied access to a to a flight so it was pretty pretty crazy trying to get home but nonetheless absolutely stoked can't wait for this world cup sorry chris chris you gotta feel sorry i feel a bit sorry for him he sounds a bit sad he sounds a bit like he let himself down there Al Goodrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and fair enough <laughs> i haven't been there where i've got to a flight and i've said no you can't get on um you can't come in here. I did once have to buy a flight to be able to enter a country, but that was as bad as bad as it got for me. My worst one was I accidentally booked the flight a month earlier. I didn't realize they were using it. I didn't realize they were using a US date system. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So I I booked it. I forget exactly how it went, but I I booked it on the 8th 8th of the 9th instead of the 9th of the 8th. Um, or vice versa, you know, whatever, oh, however the, that crazy system, calendar system. Why works. do they but, do that, by the way? Stupid, yeah. dumb. Why? Dumb. Just dumb. Yeah, it's frustrating. <laughs> Nightmare. Get in line. Get in line. <laughs> the pro tiers, they are looking pretty good, to be fair. We have just come off the back of a 3-2 series win um, versus the Aussies in our own backyard. Yeah. Uh, and we showed a lot of fight, a lot of resilience, a lot of character. We were 2-0 um, down um, and came back to win 3-2. Um, some fantastic batting performances, in particular by Klaassen and Miller at the back end of the innings. And uh, Kahiso Rabada really um, led us well um, in that fight. So this Proteus side, definitely not favorites going into this World Cup. Let, let's not forget, this is a Proteus side that almost didn't qualify for this World Cup. We were the, the last mm. um, team to get the automatic qualification spot. And that was largely due to a rained out game um, that Ireland uh, played versus England, where they uh, where they couldn't qualify. Hold on, Chris. Sorry, mate. But uh, quickly, um, I know you mm. probably didn't get to watch a single ball of this. Maybe you got to see a highlight here or there. But did you have any quick reflections on that recent um, series against South Africa, which we just didn't win, which we lost? Is more correct? <laughs> the one we lost, the one we didn't win at. You know, that's right. Yeah, yeah. correct. Look, only to say that I thought Australia started really strongly and I had grave concerns for the strength and the future of Australian cricket. Their their batting in particular in the first two games was just really underwhelming and you were just wondering where it was going to come from. From the South Africans, you were th- From the South Africans yeah, and yeah. you thought it was going to be a 5-0 serious whitewash if you, if you extrapolated from the first two games. But to be fair, they, they really came back strongly. I know it was a bit of a mix and match uh, piecemeal Australian lineup, But still, you know, you've got to give credit to where credit's due. Look, I find Temba Bavuma absolutely captivating to watch whenever you get the opportunity. Mm. I just think the man's 162 centimetres tall and generates that much power and he's the captain of his country. And, and you know, I mean, I know there's much more, uh, much more to a man than his size, but... He truly uh, is, I think, captivating to, to watch. 
you know, you, and as Chris rightly points out, you know, Rabada uh, is still a man to be feared. And if he can get in on song, look, South Africa is still South Africa. So we'll, we'll see. Good stuff, Bardo. I love that from you. I love those highlights. It was great seeing cricket in South Africa. I feel like I haven't seen a game there in Yonks. Um, so, yeah, I really I really enjoyed it. And I completely agree. After the first two games, Bardo, I was like, feet up, uh, drinks in hand. This is going to be a walk in the park. And, uh, again, proving consistency on two for none, I was wrong. <laughs> Which is good. Good, consistent. So a little bit of luck got us into that last slot, but we've definitely showed that we, we deserve to be there uh, by beating the Aussies. Um, over the past f- sort of few weeks and months, our form's been a little bit up and down, um, but we, we have, we've selected a really strong squad um, to, to go to this World Cup. So let's look at that now. This South African squad, I'll run through the names, captained by Temba Bavuma, who's had a, a, a fantastic scores recently um, and his ODI form is really really good young Gerald could see us in the mix there we've got our tallies man and we rely heavy on him Quinton de Kock uh, Reza Hendricks Marco Janssen David Miller Heinrich Klaassen Sisanda Magala Kej, Kejav Maharaj Ada Markham Lungi Ngidi Heinrich Nokia Kahisa Rabada Shamsi and Rassi van der Dissen. So we've got a lot of experience with the bat, in particular De Kock, Hendricks, Klaassen, uh, and Markram, who have performed pretty well in that ODR series versus Australia, um, and we'll be relying on, on their experience in this World Cup. Um, the bowling has been lacking slightly. Um, Janssen has struggled to find his uh, familiar form, so he will need to, to bounce back. Uh, but we do have that experience coming through from Khahiso. Hold up there, Chris Bardo. Um, he's a very impressive man, Janssen, I thought. I was pretty impressed mm. with him after those two games. Also, so tall, Bardo. So tall. Seeing him and Bavuma have a hug is is comical. It's great stuff. <laughs> That's great content. It, it's the long and the short of it, Pat. Oh, he's back, folks. He's back. He's had two hours sleep, but it's all happening in the old brain there for Bardo, folks. Look. <laughs> You're not wrong, Pat. Um, Marco Janssen has had a pretty decent start to his test career. Certainly more of a, uh, sorry, to his test career, to his cricket career. He's certainly more of a bowling all-rounder, but some really impressive, impressive figures um, in both both forms of the game. Uh, you know, test match figures, best of 7 for 91 with an average of 22.4, which is uh, no mean feat. Um, his ODI average is a little bit higher at 38 uh, and goes for a little bit more at 6.2, but only 14 games in the bank. So you've got to think that um, with a little bit more experience, this could be a bit of a breakout tournament for, for Marco Janssen. Um, loves to go the tonk, you know, uh, with the, the bat tonk, as well. Loves, loves, the loves the tonk. Loves the tonk. Definitely a lower order, lower order hitter, which is always useful. Um, and, you know, with a strike rate of 114, Tidy. Could be a very handy player. We'll yeah. take that. Unfortunately, Lungi has also um, been struggling with form recently. So bowling side, uh, we are lacking a little bit, and hopefully our bowlers can come back. Um, but this is a strong team, guys. I, I almost see the South African ODR team as uh, similar to the French rugby team in some ways, the old French rugby team, whereas you just don't know what team's going to turn oh. out. This is a team that can come back from 2-0 down and beat a strong Australian team. Um, it's a team that can put on uh, 400 runs on their day. Um, we just don't know what Protea's team is going to deliver. A little bit inconsistent, but um, 
it's definitely a team that can go far in this competition. In terms of fixtures, we have uh, the Sri Lankans up first um, in Delhi, and then we go to Lucknow to play Australia. Uh, we then play the Netherlands, England, Bangladesh, Pakistan, New Zealand, India, Afghanistan. So it's a long tournament. Hopefully the players, uh, we rotate them well. Yeah, just uh, some other news. Quinton de Kock, it's his last mm. time uh, playing for the Proteas. He will be retiring um, after this World Cup and he'll be playing in the BBL. We'll be relying on him heavily, as we always do, um, but he always rises to the occasion, and I'm sure he's going to perform very, very well. So, guys, I'm absolutely frothing. Oh. This is going to be magic, and this is a Proteus team that doesn't have a lot of pressure on them and uh, not too much expectation. So I think they may rise to the occasion, and they're going to really challenge a few teams. So, yeah, guys, that's all I've got from you. Reporting live from Christchurch. Well, see you later. Thank you, Chris Goodrick. Great to have you back, big fella. Um, some insights there, Butter. And you know what, may I say, probably the most subdued and professional version of Chris Goodrick we've had on this show. Um, usually we expect some bombast, some some wild behaviour, but maybe getting torn apart by a couple of customs agents in, in India has really made him pull his head in, you know. Yes, well, yeah, nothing like a thorough examination by Border Patrol to... <laughs> Make one assess one's priorities. Um, any thoughts on the South Africans at large, Bardo? Where do you think they're going to end up in this tournament? Look, I think it's still a cricketing superpower. Every chance to make the semi-finals. Their performances in the last three games were really good, and if they can get it together on the day, they'll be absolutely fine. Uh, there were, you know, as as Chris pointed out, some still plenty of experience in there. Um, Quinton de Kock, as he pointed out, was a fan, is a fantastic player. David Miller had a, had a decent series. Aidan Markham's a top quality player. Um, the bowling side, look, as we talked about, you know, Ngidi, Rabada, a little bit concerned about their spinning stocks. I'm not overly convinced by Maharaj. Mm. And I don't know a lot about Chamsey. I think he's featured a little bit. But um, it'll be interesting to see how, how they go. Yeah, I mean, uh, they did perform really well against us, but but you, I don't know how much stock you can put in that. It's also playing in India. It just, it's, that's, you know, for a bag of tricks, um, uh, life is like a box of chocolates sort of team like South Africa on a life is like a box of chocolates sort of um, conditions that you can get depending on where you play. It, it could really go in their favor. It could really not. But that's a tough couple of games, mate. Like Sri Lanka aren't here to mess around. You know, a couple of the other names there, even Afghanistan moving down the chain there have been pretty compelling in the last couple of years. So oh, I don't know. I'd be surprised to see the South Africans get through to the semifinals. Let me say that. I'd be surprised if they make it, Chris. I don't think they're going to get that far. But let that be the cudgel that comes back and hits me. Um, my friend, uh, would you like to hear from Adam Hassan, our Pakistan correspondent, TK Hawkey, or Alexander Spinks? Well, look, I think after a relatively subdued Chris Goodrick, we need to feel a bit of silliness, and I think the man to deliver that is Tom Hawkey, Pat. Um, I, never has a truer statement been said. Um, I believe he's got some tunes here to start off. off. This is Tom K. Hawkey with a bulletin from a Brit. Hi there, Tom K. Hawkey here with another bulletin from a Brit. Once more we come to the feast of cricket's dying middle-length format. Too long to be as exciting as a T20, and too short to be as exciting as a test. The ODI World Cup is upon us. 
Double world champions England entered the tournament as second favourites behind hosts India. They're bidding to be only the third side to ever defend the title, after the West Indies did it in the 70s and Australia won three in a row in the 90s and noughties. I do expect England to be in the running, and I'm confident they'll make the semi-finals. This is one of the strongest squads I've seen as field, full of depth and versatility, and England should be able to adapt the team to suit any conditions they encounter. Ben Stokes has come out of ODI retirement to play as a specialist batsman, much to the chagrin of Tim Payne. Stokes has since shut down any doubts on his decision by blasting a 182 against New Zealand. Sorry, Tom, Bardo, Ben Stokes. I mean, I was so thrilled to see that bloke had retired from ODIs. <laughs> I was really happy about it. I'm, I'm so... Like impressed by and tired of seeing Ben Stokes defeat and you know whole teams and win games on one leg, it's suffocating. It's suffocating stuff, but I I don't know how to handle it. I'm not looking forward to it. He's going to do it again. You watch. You mark my words. 182, 60 balls, one leg, nightmare. Look, I've got a suggestion on how to handle it, Pat. Hit me, Bardo, hit me. It's called the fetal position. Ah, are you learning this from your son, Bardo? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I've, I adopted it long before he was born. But yeah, simply if one curls oneself up into a ball uh-huh. and rocks back and forth, uh, then you can kind of ignore it. It doesn't mean... <laughs> you can pretend it's not happening. You can pre- <laughs> pretend it's not happening. Look... Yeah, he's a phenomenal cricketer, isn't he? He's, no doubt he's a game-breaker. And the fact that he scored 180, I think England's highest ever score, in an ODI, snatching it from his teammate, it's uh, it's frightening, isn't it? It's frightening stuff, but let's keep going with Tom. The highest ever ODI score by an England player. Wow. He's joined by Bairstow, Butler, Brooke, Milan, Root and Livingstone as the engine of this fearsome batting lineup. Six of those seven average 40 or more, with Brooke averaging just 25 from his six innings. However, I'd bet my house on that average skyrocketing during this tournament. On the bowling side, England are similarly spoiled for riches, such as the raw pace of Mark Wood, the control and guile of Chris Wokes, and the seemingly endless variations of Sam Curran. With excellent one-day spin coming from Adil Rashid and Moeen Ali, England will be confident they can restrict opposition scores. Even our reserve squad member is fearsome, one Jofra Archer. Though I'm doubtful England will actually need to call him up for any matches, and to do so is a risk as he's still just coming out of his injury. Tom, Bardo, you've got to say that's a really strong side from the Poms, huh? That's a really strong side. Really, really strong side, mate. Any team that can afford to leave Jason Roy at home is very strong. Just having a look at their all-rounders, you know, that they have in the squad at the moment... And Tom's touching on a few of these, but Moen Alley can play. Mm. Sam Caron can play. Liam Livingston can play. Ben Stokes, we've talked about. Um, you know, listeners from Australia, particularly from Perth, will be familiar with David Willey and his exploits. Uh, you know, a fantastic white ball player who performed very well for a couple of seasons for the Perth Scorchers. And then Chris Wokes. I mean, that's uh, six cricketers right there that could potentially win a game for England. And he's he quite right, quite right, rightly points out that Adil Rashid is a very handy one-day leg-break bowler. Absolutely. Um, and we already know what Mark Wood can do. So England, incredible, incredibly strong squad. Question remains for me about how are they going to fare in the conditions? <laughs> Great question, Bono. So yes, I'm that rarest of creatures, 
an openly optimistic Englishman. Pat, for you, I want to make a buck wild prediction. Oh, Tom. At some point in the future, I predict this England team will be the first to hit an innings of 500. Wow. Now, it's unlikely to happen in India, but I wouldn't totally rule it out from happening on November the 8th against the Netherlands. Feel Ooh. free to change the lyrics of this upcoming song to match this buck wild prediction. <laughs> Runs. Runs. <laughs> Great work, TK Hawkey. I mean, Bardo, you got to say, if there was a side that could do it in India in this World Cup with that amount of bloody hitting power, you know, against uh, you know a lesser a lesser side as the Netherlands, maybe a lower ranked side is a better way to put it. Um, uh, I don't think that's too buck wild from TK. I think he's had more buck wild predictions than that. Yeah, look, it's not the highest setting on the bucking ball, is it? <laughs> it's mid tier. I'd say it's a mid tier buck wild statement. Mid tier. You might be able to hang on if you set it to that prediction. Yeah, but we'll see, mate. I think England looking very strong. Yeah, I would. That would definitely be a semis player for me. If they don't get the semis, I think they'll be ropeable. And uh, I would be even go as far as to say I'd, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the final, Bardo. Um, particularly playing baseball, this absolutely suits their style. Um, they've got a really good couple of spinners. Their pace attack sensational. Their batters are really powerful. Yeah, you've got to say that they're, they're on for it there, mate. Um, pal, would you like to hear from Adam Hassan and hear a little bit about Pakistan? Yeah, look, I think we've had our dose of silliness and now we need some Sage insights. I think Adam Hassan is the man to deliver that. I, I, we definitely have to leave Spinks till last because he will be, I'm sure, ridiculous. Um, but let's let's hear from Adam Hassan, our Pakistan correspondent. Here he is. So here we are, 2023, World Cup in India. Pakistan heading over, squad of 15. Only two of them have ever been to India before. Muhammad Nawaz for the T20 World Cup in 2016, where he was in the squad but didn't play a game. And Salman Ali Aga for the Lahore Lions, back when that was a thing. So I saw this and I was like, how did the Lahore Lions end up in mm. India? So it turns out it was in that Champions League T20 tournament they used to have for domestic teams from across the world. And uh, okay, so I actually went down a bit of a rabbit hole here and started looking into this tournament. So in 2014, the Lahore Lions, who included players such as Muhammad Hafiz, Omar Akmal and Wahab Yaz, played six matches. They beat the Mumbai huh. Indians, Southern Express from Sri Lanka and the Dolphins from South Africa. And they lost to Northern Districts, the Kolkata Knight Riders and the Perth Scorchers. So 50-50 record. Not bad going. And of those six matches, Salman played one game against the Dolphins, where he scored one run off three balls before being bowled by Kyle Abbott. If you take away Kyle Abbott out of that, one run off three balls, sounds like I was batting butter. <laughs> sounds like a real Pat Cullen score, that. Uh, don't want to alarm you, but uh, I empathise with those, those numbers, butter. Sounds like me. Quite significant, isn't it, Pat? <laughs> Everyone counts, butter, as we've said. Everyone counts. So that's Nawaz and Salman. Three balls experience between them. One match, one win, undefeated in India. And then the rest of our squad have just never hey. been. And it is crazy to think, in this world where the IPL now dominates the cricket calendar and most teams are filled with players who travel to India regularly, that for players like Baba Azam and Shaheen Shafiri, this will be their first time there. So how are we looking? In our two most recent... Sorry, Bada, I just saw you shaking your head there. What was your what was your thought, big fella? Oh, Baba Azam, just such a prolific cricketer and such a big figure in world cricket at the moment. You know, 
one of the best batsmen in the world, probably has a claim to stake that on his day he is the best batsman. He's the best in the number world. one ODI batter at the moment as well. And has never been to India. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? I I can't believe that that facts. Like the Australians are there all the time. It goes to show you how, you know, it's just devastating that political situation. That mm. the political mm. impact there is so the situation's still so tenuous and so dangerous that those games don't happen. Um, when those two absolute the cricket mad nations would just love to go at it, the players would at least. Look, it's a bit concerning when Brett Lee has made more Bollywood movies than Barbara Zama spent days in India. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great measure for it, Chris. That's a great measure. ODI series. We beat New Zealand 4-1 and then Afghanistan 3-0. But then we had the Asia Cup a few weeks ago and that didn't go so well. Which brings me to squad news. Overall, it looks a good squad. Batting, solid. Baba Azam's currently the number one ranked batsman in the world in ODI cricket. Don't mind that. Spin department, not bad. Pace attack, was world beating a few weeks ago, looking a little streaky now. And that's due to the loss of Nassim Shah, who suffered a shoulder injury during the Asia Cup, and is now out for the World Cup, and likely our test tour of Australia this winter as well. And that's a devastating blow to be honest. Because before that, we had this fierce trio of Shaheen Shah Fridi, Nassim Shah and Harris Ralph. Three attacking, wicket-taking bowlers oh, no. who can move the ball at genuine pace. It was looking like one of the most dangerous fast bowling attacks in the competition. With Nassim injured, as well as two of his possible replacements, Mohamed Hasnain and Isanullah, we've ended up with only four seamers yeah. in our squad. Shaheen, Ralph, Mohamed Wasim and Hassan Ali, who hasn't played in ODI since June last year. So I think that's the main concern for Pakistan going into this World Cup. I think we've got the batting to get the runs on the board, wow. and the fire is still there up top in the bowling department to take early wickets with Shaheen and Ralph. But as for the middle overs, we'll no doubt have moments Oof. where we try to scrape a few extra overs out of our part-timers or less reliable bowlers, and that's where other teams could really hurt us. I think that also brings into question Baba's captaincy in a bigger way than it may have done, because with those three quicks, his job had been made easy for a while. But now without Nassim, he'll really have to think about how to manage his bowlers through the middle overs. So it's going to be a testing World Cup for him, and for the team as a whole. We're not looking as comfortable as we were yeah. a few weeks ago, but I still think we've got a good chance of going deep in this tournament. A couple of good wins, we start to pick up momentum, and who knows, could be tough to stop. Thank you, Adam Hassan. Great to have you back, pal. Great to hear your voice. Great to have your insights. Bardo, thoughts? Look, I, I'm bullish on Pakistan. I mean, I think I'm probably going to say about eight teams are going to make the semifinals here. It's, uh... <laughs> you think everybody's going to make the semifinals, Bardo? There are enough <laughs> slots, mate. I've done the maths. I'm very inclusive. <laughs> But, look, a lot to get excited about, I think, from a Pakistani point of view. There's plenty of talent there. Um, you know, Shaheen Shah Freedy is an absolute beast. Yeah, he's a monster. Um, Harris Ralph's a beast. Hassan Ali can bowl. Mm. You know, and then you have a look at their all-rounders. Uh, Muhammad Nawaz is, is a decent player. Shadab Khan's a decent player. Yeah. Plenty of talent. And then, you know, we've talked about the batting already, but, you know, Babazam, as we said, best one-day player in the world at the moment. Mohamed Rizwan can bat. Fakir Zaman can bat. Yeah, Fakir Zaman's good. There's plenty going on there for Pakistan. And, you know, a good mix of youth and experience too across the board, notwithstanding the fact that uh, this will be their first trip to the venue. I mean, the big question is going to be, as, as Adam highlighted there, those middle overs. If they get, if their part-timers and batters who are bowling a couple of overs get taken, taken for runs, then they could find themselves in some pretty precarious situations, having to really go the long handle. But I tell you what it will mean, but I mean, the games will be fun. I mean, that's classic Pakistan, isn't it? You know, it's always a little bit like, what are you going to get? Um, they couldn't be mm. on their day. They are absolute world beaters. Uh, but we'll just have to see if that ends up being the case for them. 
My friend, there's only one more person to hear from, and that is the the man himself, uh, Alex Spinks. Are you ready to dive into some some uh, what I would expect to be relatively silly stuff from from Spinksy? I would love to, mate. I would love to. He says, just a degree, just a small piece of trepidation in the in the bottom of his heart. <laughs> Here he is, folks. Alex Spinks. Think my shoes are made of talking about himself here. Uh, g'day, gentlemen. Uh, sorry for the sound quality. I'm just doing that coffee run for you both. Now that I've had to step back into my role as unpaid intern for two for none. Uh, that being said, welcome back, Bardo. I hope all your recent sleepless nights with your little one have been rewarding, and I hope you have many more to come. Can we just quickly comment on the sound design here from Spinks? This is very top-level stuff, Bardo. It's uh, way to lean into a joke. It, it's like a BBC radio play. And I would also like to point out that we're all unpaid interns on this show. And if anybody wants to change that, anybody with deep pockets wants to change us being unpaid interns, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Pepsi, Coke, Virgin Cola. <laughs> uh, hey, just um, uh, giraffe milk cappuccino hat and um, I think Bardo needs help staying awake. So uh, quadruple espresso, please. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, World Cup time. Uh, that's come around fast. This will be the third World Cup of various cricket formats in three years, with the two T20 World Cups happening in 2021 and 2022, and the next one of those happening in 2024. Uh, with the previous ODI World Cup taking place in, 20, in 2019, sorry, uh, by the end of 2024 we will have had five World Cups in six what? years. It really highlights the prestige of these tournaments that they happen <laughs> so rarely. Um, this World Cup of the Forgotten Format has had all the men's national team scrambling to remember or just find out what their ideal lineups for ODIs is. Hell, Manus Labuschagne isn't even in the World Cup squad, but is still getting a run in these recent ODI warm-up series with South Africa and India, uh, with Travis Head's broken hand. Um, oh, great. Thank you. Uh, have a good one. Um, where was I? Sorry, I'm going to hold you there. He did message me today to tell me that he, um, uh, that Minus has actually been included in the squad, that there was an injury to um, Ashton Agar. So Minus is now in the side. And um, he said that to say that he predicted that coming. So I think that's important to note at this point um, for our dear speaks. Yes. Well, look, unfortunate for Travis Head, but makes sense to have a great man in the team. I know his average hasn't been brilliant, but um, he is... One of the top batsmen in the country, so makes sense to me. Yeah, bring him in. Anyway, back to Spinks. Uh, yeah, Travis Head breaking his left hand against South Africa. Uh, Australia's perfect replacement to Aaron Finch is no longer going to be opening the batting, and his recent totals of 481 runs at 60.12 and a strike rate of 124.93, uh, he's leaving a gaping hole at the top of the team which is especially galling as Australia has had next to zero runs being scored by their ODI openers for the last couple of years. Uh, however, that has allowed the man on a 2023 redemption arc for the ages, the new T20 captain, the Bison, Mitchell Marsh, to step up once more. 
Much like his test match return in the Ashes earlier this year, Australia's self-appointed most hated man is in a purple patch with the willow and seems to have been massively rejuvenated from his century-scoring UK holiday. Quickly, Bardo, I wanted to give you a chance here to chime in, because I know you've probably been waiting for this, Bardo, for, for weeks, nay, months. Just want to take a little moment here to just give us a quick couple of clean I told you so's um, in relation to your the lord and saviour of Australian cricket, um, my friend and yours, uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Marsh. <laughs> I, well, where do you start? Other than to say, I told you so. Because <laughs> you've been out there, Bardo, you've been out there prophesizing the good word about Mitchell Marsh for close to a decade. Um, it's fair to say, Pat, it's fair to say I have held these shares for a long time. <laughs> when all the other pundits in the market were saying, sell, 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 I said, mm, he's six foot. Two, he bowls a heavy ball and he can hit them out of the stadium. There is room for M Marsh in this game. And not only is there room for M Marsh in the game, in the lineup, but it's at the very top at the of top, the line. Oh, Pat, both figuratively mm. in terms of his leadership and literally now opening the batting. The man can do it all. He's a lovely fella. And uh, all the best to him, because if Mitch Marsh fires, so will Australia. <laughs> there you have it, folks. There you have it. He's been holding on to that for weeks, months even. Um, he has been an absolute revelation, Bardo. And, and I'm hearing a lot of chat about his man management and how much people like playing for him and how great he is as a captain. Um, I also really enjoyed, and I'll see if I can't slot it in right here, the little story that he told when Johnny Bairstow came into the lunchroom <laughs> after being dismissed and he's watching the replay of it. I remember at school when you, the teacher tells you off and you shouldn't be laughing? Yeah, the best laugh. Well, I was trying to eat my soup. So if you can imagine, <laughs> I'm eating my soup and I'm shaking like this. And I'm like... Just try and look down and I look up at Johnny and be. <laughs> I'd pumpkin suit coming down my eyes. <laughs> I had my back turned to Johnny, but I could imagine Johnny looking at us and when David said very, me and a few others, get the... <laughs> He would have just seen three shoulders puckering uh, with their heads down. That sort of take the, take the tension out of the room? Or... Uh, not really. No. <laughs> Mitchell Marsh says that the Sky Boys played it um, and he just was, and Johnny said, are you boys happy with that, are you? And David Warner said, yep. And Mitchell Marsh was laughing so much that he spilt pumpkin soup all down his whites. And that's the relatable content that we're here for, Chris. That's, that's the stuff. Yeah, the other one I loved was he cancelled the team meeting so he could make his tea time <laughs> for golf. Exceptional, exceptional. Bring him in. Anyway, back to speaks. And good timing too. Like the explosive short form talents of Josh Inglis, Dave Warner, Alex Carey, they have been nowhere near consistent in the 2020s. And Steve Smith and Manus Labuschagne seem to have lost the ability to accrue runs across 30 over stretches like they used to do. Um, luckily though, Ashton Agar's injury is the blessing I was hoping for because it allows Glenn Maxwell to come back into the middle order and also as a second spinner option. With his recent return of 4 for 40 against India being his best ODI figures, it shows that his broken leg from last year has done little to dampen his skills. Mm. Uh, all this being said, I will be surprised if Australia makes it to the semi-finals. 
of this uh, quote-unquote World Cup, which is just 10 national teams playing this time because the IBCCI hates actual competition. Uh, the form of India, England, New Zealand and Pakistan alone look for a likely top four, and Afghanistan and Bangladesh are hardly the fate accomplis that they have been for years past. So if Australia do make it to the final four, that will be a great success for them and something for them to remember in four years' time when international cricket has to remember one day internationals again. <laughs> anyway, I'll get these coffees to you fellas soon and I will catch you next time. Hopefully I will have formed a union for podcast interns by then. <laughs> See ya. Very, very, very good, my friend. Um, what a great intern he is. I mean, Alex Spinks, you know, he's the Mitchell Marsh of this podcast. He can do it all, folks. He can he can co-host. He can bloody be a correspondent. He'll jump around, jump around. He's he's like House of Pain. Um, but thank you, Spinksy, by the way. Really appreciate it, mate. Really appreciate the coffees too. The giraffe milk was lovely. But oh, um, thoughts on the Aussies' chances, mate? Thoughts on the where we're at as a side? Uh, look, I think the inclusive nature of my semi-final selections may not extend to the Australian team. Mm. We could be in a bit of, bit of trouble. It is a bit of a unique team. Plenty of champions in there. I don't want to say there's not plenty of champions in there. Plenty of blue bloods. But there are some questions. You know, um, although he's played some reasonable hands of late, you know, David Warner's form at the top of the innings um, hasn't been as convincing as it once was. He has a makeshift, uh, makeshift albeit um, infallible, opening partner in Mitchell Marsh. So that, that's a that's a unique uh, combination there. Steve Smith, for all his imp- uh, all his perfection, um, has been a little bit imperfect of, of late. Minus Labuschagne um, has played his way into the team, so has a point to prove. Um, the wicket keeping position, you know, Alex Carey is a is a quality wicket keeper, but you know. Uh, hasn't set the world alight with the blade. I think, uh, you know, there's also questions for us in the, in the, on the all-rounders front. You know, Sean Abbott, I think, is a terrific inclusion and long overdue. Yeah. But you know, Cameron Green's form hasn't been brilliant, although we know how mercurial he can be. Um, Marcus Stoinis has been bowling reasonably well, but he's 34 years of age. Wow. So there's lots of lots of, lots of questions. I think, you know, our strength will be... Um, you know, in our pace attack, as per usual, I think Cummins and Stark. You know, Stark is an absolute blue blood when it comes to the short form yeah. of the game. Agar's withdrawal is an interesting one, though. I just, I do wonder if we have enough in the spin bowling department. Zampa is brilliant. Don't get me wrong, um, but will he have enough support? I'm not sure. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know either. You know what's interesting about this side as well? There's only about three blokes that are under thirty. So mm-hmm. under thirties are um, uh, Inglis, Travis Head's twenty nine, um, Cameron Green obviously is as well. But I think pretty much everybody else is thirty or over, um, and and that's an interesting point. It's also interesting to think about who actually gets in the side as a fast bowler, right? So. Paddy Cummins, obviously the Capitano, needs to be there. But if he's not there, he's got Smith to come in and, and do that job, or Marsh even. Mitchell Marsh has mm, done a great job mm. in the T20s. Josh Hazelwood is actually the number one ranked ODI bowler at the moment, and is probably one of the best death bowlers knocking around. And Stark won the uh, twenty was it 2015 World Cup. He was player of the tournament. and 2019, he got the most wickets. So he's a gun. But if the deck is actually a turner and we need to play... 
Zampa and we need to play, you know, um, Maxwell as well. Uh, how does that all end up balancing out? They also mm. like the look of playing as many all-rounders as they possibly can and trying to bat as deep as they can. So I don't know what the team super looks like. There's undoubtedly the talent there, Chris, but you'd have to say that when you look at England's squad on paper and you look at ours, even looking at, at Pakistan's, if they can, they can um, pull it through, and India, obviously, like you'd have to say that Australia are a bit of a maybe to make the make the bloody semis. Um, mm. So I don't know how it's going to roll out, my friend, but I'm interested to see if this referendum on the 50-over game, Bardo, if the referendum goes a yay or a nay, and if, as Spinksy says after he finally gets us our bloody coffees, um, that uh, whether this will be a thing in another four years. Because it does feel like a glut of World Cups, doesn't it? That's a stupid amount of World Cups in a short time frame. It is a glut of World Cups, Pat, and it is a stupid amount of World Cups in a short time frame. I think a little bit controlled by the conditions. I mean, no one's hooked COVID coming. Uh, very true. Throw things out. Look, really, really um, interesting to see the future of the game. The other thing that we need to consider too is that the T20 version of the game may be included in the Olympics shortly. We could we could see huh. it in Los Angeles in 2028. That is a That's live beautiful. possibility which would add another major tournament to the landscape and that could potentially apply more pressure to the 50-over game. I just wonder if we'll start to see more specialisation. So in the same way that we see with with Rugby Union, there are 15-a-side specialists and there are 7-a-side specialists and rarely do the two mix. I wonder if that's the direction that we're heading in. Now, whether there's enough talent to go around to cover three versions of the game i guess that's what we'll have to wait and find out yeah don't know but i don't know um early prediction but early prediction i know we got out of the prediction business but let's just dip our toe in there who do you think's gonna win it b train early early doors total punt in the dark who's who's your pick well so far i've said that england india pakistan and south africa are likely to make the World Cup final, which actually not, that's not too bad. That's four teams. Hey, well done, Chris. More. I'm proud of you. I thought that was a bit more than that. <laughs> so logically, you think it will come from those four, uh, look, England or India, which one can you stomach, Pat? Which one can you stomach? <laughs> oh, look, I think India at home, hard to beat. Hard to beat. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you, Chris. I think India, uh, if they can't win it here, they'll have to be asking themselves the question of where can they win it? You know, that's going to be a big question mm. for them. Um, my friend, delightful to have you back. Let's call that a wrap. Um, so, folks, here's what's going to work for the pod for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've got a hiatus next week because I'm in Denmark, in Western Australia, not in Europe, um, for a wedding. And then I'm back on that Friday. So pretty much for you, the listener, um, episodes will be appearing in your feed on Mondays weekly from the 16th of um, October. October? Yeah, 16th of October um, until the tournament ends, basically, with our last episode probably coming into your feed on like the 27th of November. Um, and we'll just do them weekly. We'll get contributions from as many of our wonderful correspondents as we possibly can. And if there are changes to that, we will bloody let you know. So stay tuned to that, folks. Subscribe, tell a friend, send it on socials, do all that good stuff. Um, we swear it's not just our mums that like this podcast, although they are big fans. Um, Bardo, my friend, any final thoughts from you before I let you go back to your job slash caring for your son. <laughs> <laughs> 
co-parenting. Yes, uh, look, as much as there has been a glut of World Cups, I'm really excited to share my first World Cup with, with Jack as much as we can because it is a magical, magical tournament. There's been so many great moments, whether it's the semi-final in, in 99, Australia-South Africa, one of the great games of all time. Bloody hell, the quarterfinal. Uh, uh, no, the pool game. The pool game, sorry. Mm. You know, where, where Herschel Gibbs famously dropped the World Cup. Uh, you know, we can go back to uh, Sri Lanka-Australia, the final in 1996, and the way the Jaya Saria you know, changed the game. In 2003, you know, that all-conquering Australian team just absolutely taking it to India in the final in South Africa. There's been so many great moments in World Cups over the years, and it is a special tournament, the 50 World Cup. I hope that we see something that is sufficiently unique beyond the sponsors' dollars that keeps it alive and well for at least another four years to come. Thank you, Bardo. Great to have you back. Great sum up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you in a week or two. And one last thing from me. Go, those go, those go, those Two for None is created by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. This episode presented by Pat Cullen and Chris Barty, featuring Chris Goodrick, Tom K. Hawkey, Adam Hassan and Alex Spinks. This episode was produced by me, Patrick Cullen and Ginger Snap Productions and edited by Mike Wilcox of Midnight Creative. Featured clips and music this episode included Substitute by The Who, 1968, Polydor Records, Too Long by Daft Punk, 2001, WMG, 5,000 Miles by The Proclaimers, 1988, WMG, and Seven Cricket, 2023. All clips and music are used in conjunction with our APRA AMPCOS online mini license. Contact APRA.com.au for details. You can check us out at gingersnapsydney.com. Send us an email right at that address too. Make sure you like, rate, and review, and subscribe. Tell a friend about this podcast. We will be back in two weeks with to cover, wrap up all of the action from the World Cup. And until that time, go those Aussies! Go those Aussies! Go those Aussies! Go those Aussies.